Hello there. Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you your wrestling highlights of the week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, if you could, please, wherever you are getting this podcast from, if you could please subscribe or give a rating to it, that would greatly appreciate it because when you subscribe and you leave a rating it allows the algorithms to let the people know that this podcast exists and it allows this podcast to um further reach other people out in other countries other states and basically allows me to get endorsement deals later down the line and uh with that i would greatly appreciate it but now with all that being said let's start off with monday night raw this is the monday night raw after SummerSlam, so First person to come out is Becky Lynch. She's come out in a sling. Um, the reason she's out here in a sling is because she dislocated her arm at SummerSlam. Becky would be out here to say that after months of trying to find herself at SummerSlam, she remembered exactly who she was. She had her aha moment was when she separated her shoulder during the match, and she had two choices to make. Does she give up, or does she continue to fight a hard and long 20 minute match which she decided to do the latter she continued to fight she would say that she wanted to give her best but her best simply wasn't enough that night becky then would start giving credit to bianca belair for pushing her to be the b-e-s-t that she can be basically be the best that she can be uh becky would call out bianca bianca would come to the ring bianca would tell becky that she is the man and then you get a nice moment between uh becky and bianca that will hug in the middle of the ring Becky then will tell Bianca to hold it down for her because, as you know, Becky's going to be gone for some time now. Becky will leave the ring to give Bianca the ring, and Bianca will say that she has all the respect for Becky Lynch because they have done battle with each other, and now they have mutual respect for each other after SummerSlam. Bianca knows that she has a target on her back, and she says that she is always ready, and whether it be Bailey or her friends, she stays ready. We would hear screams and a video will show in the back of Bailey, Dakota Kai, and EO Sky putting the beats down on Becky. Uh, Bailey will put a chair on Becky's injured arm and start cranking on it. Bianca will see this. She'll leave out of the ring and run to the back. Once Bianca gets to the back, Bailey and her uh, company have left, leaving Becky on the ground. And Bianca will be there as medical is assisting Becky there. After this, we would get a video package of the past United States champions will play. This video package is basically to show the importance of the championship, the United States championship, because we will have two triple threat matches tonight, and the winners of both of those triple threat matches will face off with each other later in the night, and then they will see who will become the number one contender for the United States championship. The first of the triple threat matches would happen next, and it will be The Miz going against AJ Styles, going against Mustafa Ali. AJ would win that match by pinfall when... Ali would hit a 450 splash on Miz, and then immediately after that, AJ would come in, grab Ali, hit the Styles Clash on the Miz, and then cover Ali for the win. This was a good uh, triple threat match. I ain't going to hold you. I thought Ali was going to win this, but once I saw AJ quickly swoon in and grab Ali and hit the Styles Clash, I was like, okay, that was a nice finish. I'm not mad with AJ winning this here. So AJ would win, and he would face somebody later on in the night. After this, we would get a Seth Rollins uh, situation coming out. Seth Rollins will come out to the ring. Seth will say that tonight is a night of celebration. Seth will be proud of himself for taking out Riddle at SummerSlam. Seth will say that Riddle wanted to be so much like Randy and that he actually can be. 
Now he can sit on the sideline like his buddy Randy, who's dealing with a career-threatening injury. And Seth will say that now that that business is taken care of, he can now focus his attention on Roman Reigns and the Undisputed Universal Championship. And as soon as he mentions Roman and the championship, out walks the Street Profits. Seth would immediately start shutting it down. He'll say, shut your uh, entrance off, shut the music off, no cups, nothing. Seth will say that he doesn't want to hear from the biggest losers in WWE and talk about how they lost to the Usos at SummerSlam and that they probably should break up. The Prophets will remind Seth that Seth was one of the people that they beat to become tag team champions. And also, he was the exact same guy that lost to Cody who had one arm. And they're indicating to whenever Seth had uh, a Hell in a Cell match with Cody whenever he immediately tore his uh, peck. So that's where that reference comes from. Seth would say that he would take on one of them, but since they're a team, he doesn't know which one to uh, face. The Prophets will say that that match can happen, and they will call a referee out. So the Prophets will play a rock-paper-scissors game to see who will face Seth. As soon as they're about to do the rock-paper-scissors, you will see Montez grab the ref, and he will start hauling it down to the ring. So now we got Montez Ford going against Seth Rollins. They will have a competitive match with each other, but Seth would win the match by pinfall. When Montez would go for the frog splash, but Seth would put his knees up. Montez would crash on Seth's knees. Seth would then hit Montez with the curb stomp and cover him for the win. After the match, Seth was looking like he was going to leave the ring, but he then turns around and looks at Montez, and then he starts getting angry, and then he sets up for another curb stomp. But before he could do anything, Angelo Dawkins would run into the ring, and you would see Seth leave the ring. So Angelo came out to his partner's aid. Montez had a good match with Seth. Again, we're pushing the narrative of are the Street Profits going to break up? Will they ever break up? I mean, before they play rock, paper, scissors, they mentioned that they will never break up with each other. This is the only time you're going to see them separate from each other. So I don't know if they're just trying to nudge and wink, wink at the people like, okay, we hear you guys and we're trying to set this up right, or we're going to keep these guys as a team. Only time will tell with the Street Profits. But it just shows that they are putting a lot of eggs into the Montez Ford basket here. After this, we have Alexa Bliss going against Asuka. That match will end in a no contest because Bailey, Dakota, and Io will come out and attack them. Dakota will hit Asuka with a running big boot to the face, and then Bailey and her company will put the ladies in position for Io to hit a moonsault on them. But before they could do that, Bianca would run down to the ring, and then you see Bailey and her partners leave the ring and run out into the crowd. Bianca will get a mic and says she wants a match with one of them. She doesn't care who it is, and Io would answer that challenge, so we would get a match between Bianca and Io later in the night. After this situation, we would get the other triple threat match of Ciampa going against Dolph Ziggler, going against Chad Gable. Ciampa will win this match by pinfall when he would need Dolph out of the ring, and then Gable will go for a backslide pin for the win, but Ciampa would kick out at two. This will lead to Ciampa kneeing Gable in the face, then hit the fairy tale ending for the win. So we get Ciampa versus AJ later in the night. After this, we had an Edge in ring promo. Edge is out here because he came back at SummerSlam and he helped the Mysterios beat Judgment Day. Edge is out here to call out the Judgment Day. He mentions that he created the group so he could have talent that he thought that were underutilized under his wing and give them some knowledge. He mentions that he thought that they were going somewhere with the group, but once Damien and Rhea got a taste of power, they let that go to their head and turn on them. Edge will end it off by saying he is here to kill what he created, 
and he is going to end the Judgment Day. So he has his targets set on Rhea, Finn Balor, and Damian Priest, and that's Edge's main focus for why he's back now. After this, we will have the match of Io Sky going against Bianca Belair. During the match, Bailey and Dakota will come out to the ring to support Io, and then you will have Asuka and Alexa Bliss coming down to the ring to assist Bianca Belair. This will lead to a no contest when Bailey and Dakota will get on the ring apron after Alexa would throw Io's foot off the ropes when she tried to pin Bianca. Alexa and Asuka would get on the ring apron, and now we would get both teams start shouting at each other until both teams get in the ring and they start having a brawl. The ref will call for the bell, and now we have all six ladies in the ring brawling with each other until the refs and backstage official would separate the ladies. So, we still have no motive for why Bailey, Dakota, and Io are technically a group. The only thing we got is that Bailey, before Io's match, said that they were kind of tired of waiting in the back, so now they're here to kind of shake things up. I mean, that's the only thing, but I have a feeling that we're going to try to get some championships around their waist, but they haven't said that they're coming for championship gold yet. So we're probably going to hear that from Bailey and her group next week on Raw. So I guess that's the reason why they're technically here. After this, we get a number one contenders matchup for the United States Championship. AJ Styles going against Ciampa, who had the Miz in his corner. Ciampa would win the match by pinfall, thanks to some help from the Miz. When Ciampa had AJ... On the outside of the ring, he would clothesline him over the timekeeper area. Ciampa would get in the ring until the referee start counting. The referee would count, and AJ would start trying to get over the timekeeper area, but Miz would hold AJ's leg. AJ would break free of this situation and get in the ring by the count of eight. As soon as AJ would slide in the ring, Ciampa would knee him in the face, then hit the fairy tale ending on him for the win. Almost the exact same thing that he did to Gable. So, next week, we would get Ciampa going against Bobby Lashley for the United States Championship. You know what? To be honest with you, when you see Ciampa going against Bobby, I don't think you're going to have a problem with that because with The Miz being on Ciampa's side, you can see Ciampa winning it from Bobby. I don't know if they're going to do this, but remember, we have Triple H now as the guy uh, being ahead of creative. So, we could see Ciampa beating Bobby by some nefarious action because, again, Ciampa is one of Triple H's guys from NXT. So that could be a thing. And also, if AJ would have won, I wouldn't have been disappointed at that because it would have been the first time we had AJ going against Bobby Lashley, at least to my knowledge. But we're not getting there. We're getting Ciampa versus Lashley, so we'll have to see what happens with that next week on Raw. Now for the main event of Raw, the Undisputed Tag Team Championship matchup. The Mysterios going against the Usos. The Usos would win this match by a pinfall when Dominic would get hit with the 1D by the Usos for the win. After the match, Judgment Day would get in the ring and attack the Mysterios. As the Mysterios were getting stomped out by the Judgment Day, Edge would come to their rescue the same way they did at SummerSlam. Edge would throw a fist with Damien, then clothesline him out of the ring. Then Finn would run towards Edge. Edge would kick him in the gut, then hit the execution on him, which is an elevated DDT. Edge would then go to the corner and start setting up for the spear to hit on Finn, but once Edge starts running towards Finn, Rhea would shove Dominic in the way, and Dominic would eat the spear. Finn would leave the ring and run into the crowd. Edge would follow after Finn. Ray would get in the ring and look at Dominic to check to see if he was okay. The commentary would talk this up like Ray not knowing that Rhea threw Dominic in so he could eat the spear. So we might be getting something with Ray and Edge next week on Raw with Ray asking Edge, why did you spear my boy? 
but I can see Edge telling Ray, hey, listen, I was going at the Judgment Day. I'm sorry for spearing Dominic. Ray probably hearing it, but then Dominic would probably be upset. But this could lead into the way of Dominic like going and siding with the Judgment Day. This could add another wrinkle into it. I don't know where we might be going with it. It might be Dominic or it might be Ray, which will be the ultimate twist because Ray has never, ever been a bad guy in WWE. So this would be different if they decide to go that route. So I'm interested to see what they do with this whole uh, Edge, Ray, Dominic, and Judgment Day situation. But with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for NXT. And before I get to the NXT results, a couple things to make note of. Next week on NXT, we will have Nikita Lyons going against Katana James and Trick Williams going against Wesley in three minutes, six round uh, matchup. Basically, you have six rounds. Each round will be three minutes, basically almost like boxing, but it will not be boxing gloves. It will be a standard wrestling match between both of these two men. Now, proceeding on with the show, the match will open up with a fatal four-way tag team elimination match for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. We have the teams of Caden Carter and Katana Chance going against Valentina Forez and Yalissa Leon going against Tatum Paxley and Ivy Nile going against Toxic Attraction's own Gigi Dolan and JC Jane. Yalissa and Valentina will be the first team eliminated when Valentina will be on Tatum's shoulders and Tatum will throw Valentina off her shoulders in front of Ivy Nile. Ivy will punch Valentina in the stomach in the middle of the air, then cover her for the elimination. Ivy and Tatum would be the next to be eliminated when Caden Carter would have Tatum on her shoulders and hit a sit-out slam. And unbeknownst to Caden, JC would tag herself in and throw Caden off of Tatum and pin Tatum for the elimination. Now it's down to Caden Carter and Katana Chance going against Toxic Attraction. Caden Carter and Katana Chance would finally eliminate Toxic Attraction when they hit their Neckbreaker 450 combination on JC Jane for the win, leading to Caden and Katana to finally becoming the NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. This has been a long time coming for them. Commentary has been mentioning that for two years, they have been trying to uh, build themselves up as a tag team and be this, this cohesive unit. And I forgot there's been two years. I always say a year and a half. But finally, Caden and Katana are now NXT Women's Tag Team Champions. I thought we would get rid of these NXT tag team titles and we bring in the women's tag team championships as a whole just like a thing but no we are keeping the same NXT tag team championships here I'm glad for them again it's been a long time coming I'm happy that Kaden and Katana are finally the NXT women tag team champions after this we will have Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams out here and they're talking about how their lives has been lavish since Great American Bash the people will be chanting happy birthday to Melo and Melo within Issue an open challenge to anybody that would get in the ring. We would get Giovanni Vinci making his way down to the ring as he was doing his entrance. But before he even get into the ring, Nathan Frazier would run past him and slide into the ring, and Nathan would get the match. So we would have a North American Championship matchup of Nathan Frazier going against the champion, Carmelo Hayes, who had trick in his corner. Giovanni would be on commentary for this matchup. Giovanni would assist Carmelo in the win, when Carmelo was at the commentary table and Nathan Frazier would hit Carmelo with a suicide dive and the impact of that dive would knock over Giovanni's drink on him. Nathan would throw Melo back in the ring. Giovanni's not happy about this. Trick would get on the ring apron to distract the referee. Nathan would get on the top turnbuckle. 
And Giovanni would get on the ring apron, throw Nathan Frazier off the top turnbuckle and have Nathan land in the ring. This will allow Melo to hit nothing but net, which is a leg drop from the top turnbuckle to the back of the head of Nathan Frazier for the win. Nathan Frazier and Carmelo had a good match. I would have loved to see uh, Giovanni going against Carmelo Hayes, but we're saving that or we might not be ever be getting that. I'm hoping we're saving that for a later time. But Nathan Frazier got this, and we can tell that we're leading to a Nathan Frazier going against a Giovanni Vinci uh, feud probably in the next couple weeks here. After this, we have the championship summit between Braun Breaker and J.D. McDonough with Wade Barrett being the mediator. Wade Barrett really didn't have to be here because J.D. would say that he has never been in the ring with someone like Braun. He says that he can see why people are in awe of him because of the fire that Braun has in his eyes and that people see in him. J.D. says that when he sees Braun, though, and he sees that fire, the only thing he wants to do is stomp it out. Now it's time for Braun to speak. Braun would say that he gives J.D. some credit, and he says that he's been in the ring with men like Gunther, Ciampa, and Dolph Ziggler, and he has to admit J.D. is one of the smartest men that he has studied. Braun would say that J.D. is smart in not attacking his strength or his quickness, but Braun's mind. Braun would say that in two weeks at Heat Wave, he's going to inflict pain on J.D. McDonough. J.D. would retort by saying that while Braun endures pain, J.D. welcomes it. Wade would give J.D. the contract to sign it. J.D. would say that he wants Braun to sign it first because he sees fear in Braun's eyes and he doesn't want Braun to back out of this match. Braun would tell J.D. that he doesn't fear J.D. not one bit. and He has no fear in his bone and he would grab the contract and start signing it. Now it's time for J.D. to sign it. And J.D., instead of signing the contract in ink, he pulls out a goldish style like EpiPen and pricks his own finger. And then he signs the contract literally in his own blood with a big old J and D. This freaks out Wade Barrett. This freaks out Braun Breaker. The whole audience gets silenced. I like that because, again, we are adding another creepy level to this J.D. McDonough character. And again, J.D. McDonough is kind of like Dexter from the uh, Showtime show. I've never watched Dexter. I've seen clips of it on Showtime. And you could tell where they are getting this J.D. McDonough character from. is literally the Dexter character from Showtime here. So this is adding a fear factor for Braun because he's never faced somebody that is really weird and sadistic in the way that J.D. is. And I can see that that's going to play into J.D. and Braun's matchup at Heat Wave in the next two weeks. Out of this, we would get Mandy Rose going against Saray. Mandy would win the match by pinfall when Mandy would hit Saray with a running knee to the face for the win. This match was just basically trying to get something for Mandy in the weeks to come for her match going against uh, Zoe Starks for the NXT Women's Championship. After the match, Mandy will look into the camera and tell Zoe that she hopes she was watching because she is next. Mandy will leave the ring, get a steel chair. Mandy will slide back in the ring with the chair and start hitting Saray in the arm with the chair and then switch it up and start hitting Saray in the legs with the chair. Mandy would then put Saray's leg inside the chair, and before she could do anything else, Zoe starts would run into the ring and stop Mandy. Mandy would try to hit Zoe with the NXT Women's Championship, but Zoe would duck it and clothesline Mandy. Zoe would then superkick Mandy in the face, then grab her. Mandy would slip out of the ring, and now you have Zoe staring at Mandy and say that she's in her head. So now Mandy is fearing Zoe Starks. So later in the night, we would get Mandy walking up on Cora Jade during her backstage interview. Mandy would ask 
Cora to take care of Zoe. Cora would turn on that offer because there's nothing in it for her. Mandy would tell Cora that if she took care of Zoe Starks, then management would have to give the runner-up, which is you, a match against me at Heatwave. Cora would say she would think about it, and we end up later in the night finding out that that match will happen next week on NXT. So Cora J will go against Zoe Starks. After this situation, we would have a backstage interview with Axiom, but as he was talking, Duke Hudson would interrupt it. Duke Hudson would say that NXT is going through some changes, but he is always ready. He would say that Axiom is undersized and undeserving while he is six foot five and weighs 260 pounds. Axiom will let Duke know that he isn't afraid of him. Duke would slap Axiom across the face, and now we have a brawl between both of these men. They were brawl for the backstage area to the ring, and once they got in the ring, Duke would grab Axiom and hit him with a spinning slam, leaving Axiom on the mat. Duke would leave the ring, get a mic, and say to the fans, this is why you shouldn't believe in your heroes, and Duke would leave the mic in the ring and start walking towards the entrance uh, stage. As Duke was walking, Axiom would get a mic, and he would challenge Duke to a match right now. Duke would accept. He will walk back into the ring. So now we have a match between both Axiom and Duke Hudson, which Axiom would win by pinfall when Axiom would run off the ropes and get Duke into a tilt-to-world roll-up for the win. Duke Hudson during this match was beating up on Axiom because, again, he's a bigger guy. He weighs more. He also did get the jump on him during the backstage interview, but Axiom finding a crafty way to win, he was able to do that. So Axiom does get a win over the big man. After this, we had the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup. It would be Tony D'Angelo and Stax with the Legado del Fantasma in their corner going against the Creed Brothers who had Damian Kemp in their corner. Roger Strong was supposed to be there, but he wasn't there, but he would send a tweet later on in the night. The Creeds would win their match by pinfall thanks to some help from Legado del Fantasma. When Brutus was pounding on Stax because they weren't the legal men and the referee would try to separate them, uh, Electra Lopez would leave a crowbar in front of Tony D'Angelo for Tony to grab it. Once Tony would grab the crowbar and try to walk with it, there was some uh, resistance on the crowbar. And we don't see who's grabbing the crowbar's other end. We just see Tony D'Angelo trying to move, but he can't move. So once we see Tony turn around, the camera pans over to the other person holding the other end of the crowbar, and it turns out to be Santos Escobar. Santos would pull on the crowbar, leading to Tony D'Angelo to hit the bottom rope, and Santos would hit Tony in the face with brass knuckles. This would lead to Julius grabbing Tony and hitting him with an Oklahoma slam, then cartwheel around it, and then follow it up with a sliding clothesline for the win, so the Creed brothers do retain their NXT Tag Team Championship, and in aftermath, we will have Legato Tef Fantasma as a whole unit laughing at Tony D'Angelo and Stax once again failing to win any gold. Later in the night, we would get a backstage situation with Tony D'Angelo. He's with Stax. He would get a call from Santos, and Santos is playing mind games with Tony. Tony says, we got to end this once and for all. So they agreed to have one more meeting between both of them. No Stax, no Legato. They're just straight up Tony and Santos, and more or less, that will probably happen next week and more than anything they'll probably set it up for one more matchup between those two at heat wave in two weeks after this we had joe gacy with the dyad in his corner going against brooks jensen who had josh briggs and fallon henley in his corner joe gacy would win the match 
by Penfold with the help from Pretty Deadly. The dyad would walk towards Fallon, and Briggs would see this, so he would walk over to Fallon so he could stop the dyad from getting closer to her. And as this was happening, Pretty Deadly would get in the ring and run towards Brooks, but Brooks would throw one over the ropes and close on the other one over the ropes. Joe Gacy would see this, take advantage of this, and hit his springboard clothesline on Brooks for the win. After the match, Gacy will look into the camera and start talking towards Cameron Grimes. He has a message for Grimes, and he says that he could turn Grimes losing ways around if he joins him. So this whole thing was for Joe Gacy to show what it would look like if Cameron Grimes were to join him, his dyad, as this schism big old unit. So we'll have to see what happens with that situation because after we see Joe Gacy deliver that message, we would go backstage to Grimes hanging around with a bunch of people backstage as he's watching Gacy deliver this message. One of the guys said, hey man, he's talking about you. And he would say, yeah, I know. And then he walks away. So we could see, again, Joe Gacy luring Cameron Grimes into his group. Either that happens or don't happens, that has me interested because Cameron Grimes is on a downward Spiral right now. He has not picked up a good, meaningful win in a minute. So we'll have to see what happens with that probably next week on NXT. After this, we had a matchup between Alba Fire and Last Legend. Alba would win the match by pinfall when Alba would duck Lash trying to hit her with her own bat. Alba would super kick Lash in the face twice, then hit her with the Gory Bomb special, then followed up finally with a Swanton Bomb for the win. So Alba Fire would beat Last Legend, and hopefully this is the last match of their feud that they've been having. Now it's time for the main event of NXT. False Count Anywhere matchup, Solo Sokoa going against Von Wagner, who had Robert Stone in his corner. Solo Sokoa would win the match by pinfall when Solo would hit a flying headbutt onto Von Wagner through the commentary table for the win. This match had tables getting smashed, chairs being used, steel steps being used, they fought inside the ring, inside the arena, outside the arena, into the parking lot. I mean, they even bumped into some uh, wrestlers backstage. Uh, in the parking lot, you saw Solo Sokoa push over uh, Mello, who was helping out a group of ladies trying to start their car or something like that, him and Trick. So that's one interaction. The other interaction that we had was whenever Von Wagner and uh, Solo were fighting to get back into the arena as Cameron Grimes was leaving out the arena. They bumped into Cameron. Cameron ends up falling on the ground. So we can see again, they're causing chaos through the arena. So that's what that whole situation, those two setups were for. But in the end, Solo Sokoa would beat Von Wagner by pinfall. And that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite would open up with a match between Orange Cassidy going against Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal would win the match by pinfall when Jay would kick Orange Cassidy in the leg. The same leg that Jay was targeting the entire match, I believe it was the right leg. Jay would then hit the lethal injection on Cassidy for the win. Good match between both of these gentlemen. After the match, Satnam Singh and Sanjay Dutt will come down to the ring and Sanjay will act like he's an interviewer and ask Jay, what does he think of Warlow coming out last week at Rampage? Jay will say that since Warlow wants to come out and protect his new little buddy, he, if he's watching right now, he probably wants to come out right now because I'm about to break Orange Cassidy's leg. So Jay was about to put Orange Cassidy in the figure four and he does so, but the best friend's Trent and Chuck Taylor would run down to the ring, and not far behind them was Warlow. 
Once Warlow gets in the ring, Jay Lethal, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt would leave the ring and make their way up the ramp. Sanjay would challenge Warlow to a match at Battle of the Belts for the TNT Championship for Jay Lethal. So it would be Jay Lethal going against Warlow at Battle of the Belts. Warlow would accept. So we got that match uh, added to the Battle of the Belts card. After this, we will have the Undisputed Elite coming out for the first time in about a month. Adam Cole and Red Dragon are back. Adam Cole and Red Dragon have been out of AEW, at least programming television-wise, for about a month. Last time we saw Adam Cole was at Forbidden Door in the Fatal 4-Way for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, but he had a fatal uh, concussion in that matchup, and that's the reason why he's been out. Kyle O'Reilly, he's been injured for some time. That's the reason why he's been out. And Bobby Fish, he was out for some time because of injury, but I believe they do say he's medically clear. Um, Adam would let everybody know that it's, that he feels good to be back in this ring. He feels good to be back in front of everybody here, being out here with his friends. And he mentions that um, he is still not medically clear, but he would say while he was out uh, watching AEW, at home, he will be thinking about things, and he mentions loyalty. Adam goes on this long monologue about loyalty, and he mentions that loyalty is power. He talks about making the decision to come to AEW last year because of the Young Bucks. That's loyalty. He talks about traveling around the world for years with Kyle and Bobby Fish. That's loyalty. Adam would then mention that there's going to be a six-man championship tournament, talking about the trios championships, and he tells the Young Bucks that if he isn't medically cleared, Kyle isn't medically cleared, and you won't pick Bobby to team with, you won't be in the tournament. Now you get the whole fans start booing this uh, situation. You got the young boys looking at Adam Cole like, what are you talking about? Adam would then have to correct himself by saying, what I meant to say was, you won't be physically able to enter the tournament. That's when Bobby Fish and Kyle Raleigh would attack the young bucks from behind. Adam would be smiling as the beatdown would happen, and Adam would look at Matt Jackson, blow him a kiss, and then super kick him in the face. Then say to Matt, I haven't forgot what you did to me. What Adam was referencing at this time was in 2017, uh, when Adam Cole was signing to WWE, and we all knew it. This was around the summer of 2017, and he just had his uh, last match in the Ring of Honor, per se. Uh, the Young Bucks will come out and turn on him with a video package from Kenny Omega basically saying that he's kicked out of the Bullet Club. The Young Bucks would double super kick him, kiss him on the side of his cheeks. That's how he was send off on uh, Ring of Honor in 2017. This is whenever he would go off to WWE. So since Adam Cole has been gone from uh, the Young Bucks' whole world since 2017 and coming back in 2021, officially aligning together at the all-out pay-per-view, everybody was wondering when is Adam Cole going to get his revenge against the Young Bucks. And it seems to me that Adam picked today to be the right time. So now you see Kyle O'Reilly go underneath the ring. He grabs a steel chair. He puts it around Matt's neck. And you see Adam get on the second turnbuckle. And it looks like he's about to jump off the second turnbuckle. But before he could do that, Hangman Page's music would hit. And Hangman would run down to the ring with a pipe in hand. And this would scare off Adam Cole and Red Dragon. uh, Having them leave the ring and start going up the ramp. So the Undisputed Elite is technically broken off into two subgroups here. 
You got Adam Cole and Red Dragon, and then you got the Young Bucks now, and more or less probably Hangman Page because this is what they have been hinting at ever since uh, Full Gear last year, whenever the Bucks kind of didn't stop Hangman Page from beating Kenny Omega since we kind of been building up to that story of the rekindling of the Young Bucks and Hangman Page. Hangman doesn't stay in the ring long after he gets uh, Adam Cole and Red Dragon out of the way because he helps uh, the Young Bucks back to their feet and he just stares at them. They stare at him and they show like um, appreciation towards Hangman for saving them. Hangman would leave out of the ring. So again, we're building and telling that story of Hangman and the Young Bucks rekindling the magic that they had before making it to AEW. And more or less, we're probably going to get those uh, group as a team for this trios tournament with Adam Cole and the Red Dragon probably be one team entering and probably the other team being Hangman and the Young Bucks. And you know, the funny part about this is that we know Kenny Omega is coming back and Kenny is supposed to be the Young Bucks' boys and all that type of stuff, but we still haven't heard from Kenny ever since losing the Hangman at Full Gear last year. So it's going to be interesting how Hangman and Kenny and the Bucks are going to be dealing with this once Kenny comes back. Um, after this, we have a tag team females uh, matchup of Britt Baker and Jamie Hader with Rebel in their corner going against the AEW Women's Champion Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm. Jamie would win the match for her team by pinfall when Tony was basically running back and forth uh, across the ring from Britt Baker to Tony Storm with a hip attack. Once Tony would run towards Britt Baker, Britt would grab Thunder Rosa and move herself out of her way and have Thunder Rosa eat the hip attack. And you would see Tony look at Thunder and be like, oh no, I just hit my tag partner. And this will lead up to Jamie Hayter grabbing Tony and then hitting her with the Rainmaker for the win. This was a good tag team matchup between all four of these ladies. And this is telling the story of basically Thunder and Tony probably not going to be on the same team for so long. And also, it was announced that at Battle of the Belts, we would get Jamie Hayter going against Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's Championship. After this, we would have uh, Powerhouse Hobbs going against a guy named Ren Jones, basically enhancement talent. But before the match would even begin, Taz on commentary will let everyone know that he knew nothing of what was going to happen last week pertaining to Ricky Starks issuing another open challenge for the FCW Championship, uh, Hook answering it, and also Powerhouse Hobbs turning on Ricky Starks. Taz will let everyone know that Team Taz is no more, and he lets people know that he's told each man this, and he wished all of them well. So we get to Powerhouse going against Ren Jones. Powerhouse would win that match by pinfall when Hobbs would clothesline Jones in the neck the same way that he did Ricky Starks last week. After the match, Ricky would run straight to the ring and start punching at Powerhouse Hobbs. The ref would try to calm Ricky's down, but Ricky would push the ref off of him and Ricky would leap at Hobbs and Hobbs would catch Ricky and hit him with a spine buster, leaving Ricky on the mat. So again, we're building up to this match with Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. We're probably going to get that at uh, the all-out pay-per-view. Probably not, but I know one match we will be getting because they are building up to it. Uh, Eddie Kingston going against Sammy Guevara because they had a video package of Sammy Guevara uh, saying that he's going to marry Ty Conti somewhere down the line, and it's all love and dub, people be mad. Kingston would interrupt all that. He said, listen, I don't know what we're doing here. This is a wrestling show. I don't know why we're showing this lovey-dovey crap. 
and he says that, listen, Tony has sent me a contract. I already signed it. Sammy, when you get done with your whole marriage stuff here, look in your email and sign the contract. I'll meet you at the pay-per-view. So that was AEW's way of saying we're going to get Eddie Kingston going against Sammy at the pay-per-view. After this, we have Matt Hardy going against Christian Cage. Christian Cage would win the match by pinfall when Matt had Christian on a table and then jumps off the ring apron looking to hit a diving elbow drop, but Christian would roll off the table and Matt would crash through it. Christian would put Matt in the ring and then hit the kill switch on Matt Hardy, or better known as the Unprettier for people knowing it in the WWE, for the win. After the match, Christian would go underneath the ring and get two steel chairs. Now he puts Matt's head on one of the chairs, and he's about to hit him with the concerto, but Luchasaurus' music would hit. Luchasaurus would make his way down to the ring. Christian would look at Luchasaurus walking down to the ring, and then he would start looking at Luchasaurus and start turning around because he's paranoid, and he's right to be paranoid because Jungle Boy would sneak into the ring, and Christian would swing the chair at Jungle Boy, but Jungle Boy would duck it. Jungle Boy would grab the chair that Matt Hardy's head is on, and then once he has the chair, he swings it at Christian. Christian would leave out of the ring and leave through the crowd, and you would see Jungle Boy take off this black hoodie that he has on, and he has a shirt underneath it that says Christian is a, well, P-word, if you get the drift. So, again, we're still building up to Christian going against Jungle Boy. We're going to have that match at All Out because this is one of their big feuds that they are building up. And if anything, we're sending Jungle Boy to the moon with this feud because this feud is all about getting Jungle Boy to that uh, next level tier. I believe that they want Jungle Boy to be at in AEW. After this, we had Ethan Page in the ring. And Ethan Page would start off by saying why multiple times. He would ask why isn't he on TV more why isn't he on the programs more? Why isn't he on the tour buses? And as Ethan will be listing all these complaints of why, Stokely Hathaway would start coming down to the ring and Ethan would start getting at the fans because the fans are getting with Ethan. They're cheering for Ethan, complaining about why he's not on AEW uh, programming, all that stuff. Ethan would say, I don't know why you guys are cheering because once my t-shirts are on sale on AEWshop.com, Instead of buying my shirts, you're buying Orange Cassidy shirts. So as Ethan would run down the list of whys, Ethan would not see Stokely in the ring. But once he does, he looks at Stokely and asks him, what does he want? Stokely would get the mic from Paige and ask him, what is he doing? Ethan says, I'm trying to get paid. Stokely would tell Ethan to come here. And he whispers something to Ethan's ear. And then you see Ethan look at Stokely. Stokely hands him a business card. Ethan takes it, Stokely starts leaving the ring, walking up the ramp, he stops, and Ethan Page will leave the ring and follow up with Stokely at the ramp, and he's aligned himself with Stokely Hathaway. So Stokely Hathaway right now, as it pertains, he has Jay Cargill, Kiera Hogan, Lila Gray, Lee Moriarty, and Ethan Page right now at his, underneath his wing right now. So it seems to me that we're trying to build Stokely Hathaway's group right now into the next big group in AEW because we just got rid of Team Taz here. So it seems that we're trying to build up this next big group here, and I'm fine with it. I want to see what other men is Stokely going to try to grab in his group. I don't know who else he could be taking, but it's going to be interesting to see what next talent Stokely's going to be trying to recruit into his whole uh, family. After this, we will have the dumpster matchup between the Gun Club going against the Acclaim. 
the acclaim would win the match when they first put Austin Gunn in the dumpster, when Max would throw Austin Gunn off the entrance tunnel into the dumpster, and then you would see Colton laying on a table that Anthony Bones put him on, and then Max would jump off the entrance tunnel and hit him with a mic drop, an elbow drop, off the entrance tunnel, and crashing uh, Colton Gunn through the table. Anthony Bones would put Colton inside the dumpster, and then you would see the claim shut the lids on the dumpster to win the match. After the match, the Acclaim would zip-tie the lids of the dumpster shut, and then they would shove the dumpster off the entrance stage and have the dumpster basically flipped upside down uh, off the stage. they try to recreate what the New Age Outlaws did to Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in Raw 1998. It doesn't come off as well because Raw at the time was on a high elevated entrance stage when they threw... Uh, Mick Foley and Terry Funk, well, dumpster off the stage. And this stage was not that high up off the floor. So once they did it, it didn't look that impactful. People were uh, screenshotting that the dumpster lid start coming up and it looks like somebody's foot almost kind of got clapped on the dumpster. I don't know that. I don't per se. But only thing I know is that I get where they were going here, but if they were going to pull it off all the way, they should have just revved it up all the way, really just had them push it off and have the stage be up more because the fall wasn't that bad, to be honest with you. The 19, the 1998 stage dumpster being shoved off to the stage was way more devastating than this one. I'm just going to be uh, brutally honest here. Again, this is me criticizing AEW. It's not me like bashing them. It's just me being critical of the product. I like AEW still, but if you're going to pull off a classic uh, situation that everybody, well, if you're a diehard fan, if you remember that, um, and people are going to mention it on Twitter, and then you're going to have people look back at it, and then when people look back at the clip and compare this one, you want to at least have the exact same uh, intensity and the exact same height requirement for the stage the way that you did or the way that you are trying to refer people back to from a thing that you're taking from years ago. That's all I'm saying. If you're going to do it, at least try to remix it and at least try to make it better than the classic thing that you are remixing here. Now, with all that being said, off to the main event, Chris Jericho versus Willie Uter. Winner faces John Moxley next week for the AEW Interim World Championship. Uh, Chris Jericho would win this match by submission when Uter would go for the seatbelt pin, the same uh, pen that he beat Daniel Garcia with and that he beat Chuck Taylor with but Chris Jericho will reverse out of it and it lock in the line tamer which is basically a high elevated walls of Jericho with Jericho putting his knee on the back of the head of Wheeler Yuta and Yuta would tap out after the match Jericho would not let go of the hold until referees would come down to the ring and try to separate Jericho and he still wouldn't let go of the hold then John Moxley music would hit he'll make his way through the crowd to get into the ring and once he does Jericho let go of the hold uh runs out of the ring walks up the ramp and he starts telling Moxie that you want the last survivor of the heart dungeon Lionheart Chris Jericho well you got it you will be seeing him next week on Dynamite and I'm going to stretch the crap out of you and I'm going to win the AEW World Championship so we have our match there and also it was announced that also uh, Darby Allen will be going against Brody King next week in a coffin match 
And also, in a tornado tag, it'll be Andrade and Roosh going against the Lucha Brothers. And I can't wait for that one as well. So, that was your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. Impact will open up with Deanna Peraza going against Rosemary, who had Taya Valkyrie and Jessica, formerly known as Havoc, in her corner. Deanna Peraza would win the match by pinfall when Deanna would get kicked out of the ring by Rosemary. Jessica would be laughing at Deanna. Deanna would look at Jessica and say, oh, you think that's funny? That's the reason why you're not invited to my party anyway. And what Deanna's referencing to is her bachelorette party that Chelsea Green is uh, planning for her at the moment. Deanna would get back in the ring, and this would set Jessica off, and Jessica would try to get in the ring. She would get on the ring apron, but Taya would try to stop her and, like, tell her not to get in the ring. And as she's doing this, the referee would be distracted with this and miss Rosemary hitting Deanna Peraza with the spear and then covering her for the win. So as Rosemary's covering Deanna, and she clearly has the match won, Rosemary would see Jessica trying to get on the ring apron and then let go of Deanna and start looking at Jessica. Jessica will see this, get off the ring apron, and this would allow Deanna to roll up Rosemary for the win. So Deanna Peraza wins the matchup like that, and Rosemary's just sitting in the ring, and Jessica's looking nervously at, oh boy, I cost her the match here. So this is still building into... Will Rosemary, like, attack Jessica or what will happen? Because remember, uh, next week, Rosemary and Ty Valkyrie do have to defend their knockout championships against Vex, uh, Deanna Perrazzo, and Chelsea Green at Emergence. That's next Friday on uh, Impact Wrestling. So we'll see how that deals with here. After this, we have the Digital Media Championship matchup. Brian Myers going against Black Tarus, who had Crazy Steve in his corner. Brian Myers would win the match by pinfall when he would poke the eyes of Taurus, then roll him up by the ropes, and Brian would use the ropes uh, leverage by grabbing it to win the match up here. After the match, Brian would be walking up the ramp with the media championship, but behind him would be Bupinder Gujir. Bupinder would grab Brian, throw him into the ring, and now Brian is in between Black Taurus and Crazy Steve. Steve would clap his arms around Brian's head. Tarus would headbutt Brian, and then uh, Gujir would hit Brian with the gargoyle spear, which is the middle rope spear, and you would see all three men standing above Brian Myers. The reason why Bupinda Bugujir, uh came out here and threw Brian back in the ring is because for the past two to three weeks, Bupinder has been trying to get a digital media championship matchup with Brian Myers, and Brian has been ducking him with excuses and excuses, so Bupinder is trying to now take uh, the situation into his own hands, so we'll have to see what happens next week on Impact. After this, we will have Masha Slamovich going against Giselle Shaw. Masha would beat Giselle by pinfall when she hits Giselle with the snow plow for the win. Uh, Giselle was the only opponent out of Masha's whole Impact run so far that's actually got some offense on her, because Masha usually comes in and beats up on her opponents, hit them with a snowplow, call it a day. This time, at least, Giselle Shaw, she got some couple hits off. She was actually able to hit a knee on Masha, and it looked like she actually did put Masha down for a minute, but Giselle was shocked by this, so she hesitated on the pin, and when she got her in the pin, she only got a one count on this, but ultimately, Masha would eat Giselle up for lunch, and that was the way it went. So Masha is still undefeated here. 
As it is, we had Violent by Designs, Joe Doring, and Diener going against the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley, and Chris Saban. The Motor City Machine Guns would win the match by pinfall when Alex would get Diener in a crucifix pin, and then Chris would run in the ring and roll up Diener for the win. After the match, the Machine Guns would celebrate in the ring, but Doring would attack them both from behind. Diener would come in with the Violent by Design flagpole and start hitting both men with it. Kushida would run down to the ring and attack both Diener and Joe Doring. He has Joe Doring locked into the hoverboard lock, and that's when Eric Young would run down to the ring and attack Kushida from behind, and then Paul drove Kushida in the middle of the ring. And it seems to me that Eric Young is back with his boys, Diener and Joe Doring. That's the way the commentary at least built it up, so we'll have to see how that happens. And it was announced that at Emergence, it will be Chris Saban and Kushida going against Violence by Design. Uh, after this, we had Sammy Callahan going against Raj Singh. Sammy Callahan would win this match by submission when Sammy would hit Raj with a power driver and then lock in the crossface chicken wing on Raj and Raj would tap out. After the match, Sammy would get a mic and call out both Steve Macklin and Moose. Moose's music would hit, the lights would go out, and then as soon as Moose's whole theatrics would go off, there would be a figure standing at the entrance stage, and when the spotlight hits that figure, it turned out to be Steve Macklin. And Moose would appear in the ring and try to spear Sammy, but miss, and this would have Sammy stomp out Moose, and Macklin would run into the ring to try to help Moose. However, Sammy would hold his own. He would be able to beat down both Macklin and Moose until Macklin would hit Sammy with a low blow. This would allow Moose to hit Sammy with a spear, and then Macklin would get Sammy hit him with a double underhook DDT, so both men laid out Sammy Callahan. After this, we had the main event of Impact, Darby, well, a Derby street fight, uh, Doc Gallows going against PCO. PCO would win the match by pinfall when he has a flying fist drop onto Gallows, who's now inside a hole in the ring, and then PCO would follow him and then pin him and that's how PCO will win the match. And the reason how there's a hole in the ring was whenever um you would get Gallows and PCO having this un like just destructive street fight here. You at one point you have PCO exposing the wood that's underneath the ring, and you would have Gallows grab PCO and then choke slam him literally through the ring. So that's the reason why they have a hole here. And Gallows would have the referee start counting, but the uh, PCO would start getting up at the count of nine. Fast forward it towards the end, PCO would hit a uh, inverted DDT on Gallows on the wood before rolling out of the ring, loading up his glove with thumbtacks, getting in the ring, hitting a flying fist drop with the gloves that has the thumbtacks on it onto Gallows, who's now being inside the ring, inside the hole, and then you see PCO pin him. So that's how PCO will win this matchup. Again, a straight-up crazy matchup between both guys. There was a drum set used that was under the ring. I don't know why it was there. Uh, you had um, steel chairs being used. You had a chain being used. Again, just nothing but just crazy street fight between both men. And it seems to me when it comes down to a street fight mentality, when it's always with Gallows, something has to break. There was earlier in the year, it was Gallows going against Joe Doring. They fought up the ramp and they hit, like, I believe Gallows hit a Baldo bomb off of the ring, uh, not the ring, but the entrance stage, and he made a hole through the stage on one side of the stage. That happened, and now you got 
this where Gallus chokeslams PCO through the ring, making a hole in the ring. So like I said, there always got to be a hole somewhere happening, some type of destruction and an uncontrollable matchup with Doc Gallows in Impact because they gave uh, Gallows that type of freedom. So in the end, again, PCO would win the match by pinfall. And that is your Impact Wrestling Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to SmackDown and a few things to note. The most important thing to note on the SmackDown technically is that they announced that this coming week of Monday Night Raw, the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament will be beginning. So it seems to me that under the Triple H umbrella, since this is his first week of him having creative control on the main roster, he has brought back the Women's Tag Team Championships. I'm going to see who's going to be joining those tag teams. They were not announced during the SmackDown, but it does bring up some interesting uh, possibilities because my thought is, okay, Toxic Attraction lost on NXT this week, so now they probably have the opportunity to come up to the main roster to do this Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. Uh, Anybody else, I don't know, but we'll have to see whenever uh, Raw rolls around and they actually uh, list the tag teams that's going to be in this tournament. Now on to what happened on SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a video package of what happened at SummerSlam. And then after that, we will go to a parking lot where the bloodline will be appearing out of their vehicles, happy as can be without their wise man, Paul Heyman. And then they will enter the arena. After this, we will then go to the commentary table where Pat McAfee is there with Michael Cole. And Pat McAfee will go over and talk about kicking Corbin in the nuts at SummerSlam. They even will provide footage. And Pat McAfee will have the production team play that footage over and over again. And he will break down the footage like you're in the NFL. Like he will literally have like a yellow uh, line going across where he put his foot next to Corbin's nuts and just like kicked him. I mean, he breaking it down like an NFL quarterback will break down how he threw the ball to his wide receiver. So he constantly plays the footage over and over again. And then we go to the back where Corbin is watching this with a group of people. And they'll be laughing at Corbin getting kicked in the balls multiple times. Corbin would say that isn't funny. And Ricochet would uh, walk up to Corbin and say that Corbin got what he deserved. Corbin would tell Ricochet that he can wipe that smile off his face. So we get to our first match of the night. Ricochet going against Happy Corbin. Ricochet would win the match by pinfall when Corbin would throw Ricochet off the top turnbuckles as Corbin's on the second uh, turnbuckle. Corbin would look at Pat McAfee and start mouthing off the Pat. Pat is still in the head of Corbin. And as this happens, Ricochet would get up and push Corbin onto the uh, ropes and Corbin would land on his nuts. So again, we're still playing onto the fact that Corbin has sore testicles here. Ricochet would then hit the recoil, which is the code breaker on Corbin, and then go to the top rope and then finish him off with a shooting star press. And I mean an immaculate shooting star press to end Corbin and win the match that way. Good match between Corbin and Ricochet here. Uh, It allowed everybody to still see what Corbin can do with a fast-paced competitor like Ricochet and allows Ricochet to get some uh, television time, which to me personally, again, I say he was the one to watch for WWE in 2022. So I'm glad to see Ricochet on the television screen anytime he's on here. After this, we have Shinsuke Nakamura going against Ludwig Kaiser with uh, Gunther in his corner. And the thing for this is that if Shinsuke wins against Ludwig tonight, he will get an Intercontinental Championship matchup against Gunther next week. And Shinsuke would win the match by pinfall when he hits Ludwig with a Kinshasa for the win. 
So Shinsuke will be facing Gunther next week for the Intercontinental Championship. After the match, Gunther would get in the ring and he would have a face-off with Shinsuke Nakamura and this is basically just building up their match for next week. After this, we would go backstage and Sami Zayn's walking up on Roman Reigns' uh, door. He knocks on it. And this will happen several times throughout the night because uh, the Usos will be coming out. Jimmy would majority do the talking. Jay isn't trying to listen to Sami at all. If anything, Jay has a real, like, mean demeanor towards Sammy while Jimmy always just try to buddy up with uh Sammy. Um Sammy's trying to get it to talk to Roman and the Uso just cock blocked him every time. No, you're not getting in there. Uh we got you to take care of something else. This will go on multiple times throughout the night. We get about a good three segments of this and towards the third segment, uh Jay will tell Sammy point blank, listen here, we have ascended at SummerSlam with Roman retaining his championships over Brock Lesnar, us beating the Street Profits and continuing being the unified tag team champions. They tell Sammy point blank, Jay specifically tells Sammy that, yo, you need to start holding your weight because if you don't, you'll be taking off that t-shirt because now they want, it seems to me that Sammy has to hold some type of championship to at least see, uh, prove to everybody that he belongs in the bloodline. And I like this way to where we could turn this thing because I feel that we're coming towards the end of Sammy being the honorary oose. That's where I feel we're headed towards this. I think that we're coming towards the end of this. We could finally get the Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens coming together as a tag team winning tag team championships or we can go a different route and have Sammy uh, do something with the 24-7 championship or we could do something else but I have a feeling my best money bet is that Sammy more or less when Kevin Owens comes back uh, we'll get Sammy and Kevin going against the Usos for the tag team titles. And that's one way I can see them like exiting Sammy off of this whole uh, being the honorary Us thing. But that's just my uh, prerogative where I think we're going with the story here. After this, we will have Liv Morgan coming up for an entering interview. Liv Morgan's out here with a brace on her left arm. Liv will be out here to talk about her controversial win at SummerSlam. And it was reported that Ronda Rousey has been suspended from WWE, so you won't be seeing Ronda on WWE television anytime soon. The fans will chant at Liv that she tapped out, and Liv would say to them that she hears them and thanks them for calling her out on her crap. Liv would say that she outlasted Ronda's three submissions at SummerSlam, and she thought that uh, the refs had counted to three when she tapped out. And Liv gives that explanation, but Sonya Deville will come out and poo-poo on Liv's explanation. Sonya would throw some shots at Adam Pearce saying that he's a crappy general manager because if that was her in that position instead of Adam, none of that finish wouldn't have gone down at SummerSlam. But nonetheless, uh, Sonya says that Liv shouldn't be here as champion at the moment. Sonya says that once she wins this gauntlet match tonight, she will face Liv at Clash of the Castle and she's going to take that championship off of Liv. Aaliyah will come out, and now we will start our gauntlet match. The gauntlet match is the winner of this match will be facing Liv Morgan for the SmackDown Women's Championship at Classic uh, Castle. In the gauntlet match, we will have Natalia, Shayna Baszler, Raquel Rodriguez, Shotzi, Sonya Deville, Xia and Aaliyah. And a gauntlet match goes like this. It starts off on a one-on-one uh, competitors, and once one person gets pinned or submitted, another person will come out. Then you continue this thing until the last person comes out, and that's how uh, the gauntlet match goes. So, 
In the end, the last two competitors of this gauntlet match would be Raquel Rodriguez going against Shayna Baszler. Shayna Baszler was the last competitor to come out because Raquel Rodriguez would be running the gauntlet here. Uh, Shayna would win the match by pinfall when she had the Coquina Clutch on Raquel, and Raquel would roll out of it into a pin, but Shayna would reverse out of that pin and then grab Raquel and hit her with an arm uh, clutch bridge pin for the win. Ultimately, Shayna is now going to be facing Liv Morgan at Clash of the Castle for the SmackDown Women's Championship. People like this idea because Shayna can easily manipulate the joints of Liv Morgan. Also, you can play that buddy-buddy ties in with Shayna and Ronda being friends, so Shayna can be getting retribution on her best friend's behalf. As it was not said on SmackDown, that's the route we're going, but if I was a part of the creative team, that's kind of one of the routes I will be going. Shayna not technically doing this for her best friend, but you can add that in just to twist the dagger. Uh, after this, you had Viking Raiders going against two local competitors. Uh, Viking Raiders would win the match by pinfall dominantly when they would hit one of the guys with a front slam off the second turnbuckle, and then the other guy with a double elevated powerbomb onto the other guy that just got slammed and then cover him for the win. After the match, the Viking Raiders would be in the ring, standing tall. Kofi Kingston would run into the ring with a kendo stick and start laying into the backs of the Viking Raiders with the kendo sticks. He would hit them multiple times in the back. The Viking Raiders would leave out of the ring, and Kofi would stand in the ring with a broken kendo stick. He broke it off their backs. Because again, Kofi went into that uh, situation and just started laying in those shots heavy, which would give us uh, Kofi going against Eric of the Viking Raiders with Ivar in his corner. Kofi wouldn't win the match by pinfall when Eric would try to get Kofi in a full Nelson maneuver, but Kofi would slip out of it and roll up Eric for the win. So, Kofi gets some measure of revenge because of the Viking Raiders taking out Xavier Woods last week, but I have a feeling that this uh, feud between the New Day, and the Viking Raiders are far from over. After this, it's time for the main event segment of the night, the Bloodline coming out. Uh, we got Roman and the Usos. Again, no wise men. Uh, Roman would hit his Acknowledge Me shtick to the crowd, and then as soon as he gets done with that, he would mention that there's a couple things he has to get off his chest and uh, get to the people. He says that he respects Brock Lesnar, but he hates him. Because he tried to kill the wise men at SummerSlam by F5ing him through the commentary table. And that's the reason why Paul had to go to the hospital. So we don't know when we're going to see the wise men again. So that's one thing. And before he can get to the next thing, he will be interrupted by Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre will come out here, tell Roman that he can't wait to get his hands on Roman at Clash of the Castle. So he wants to get his hands on Roman right now. So Drew takes his shirt off, he throws the mic at the ground, and now you have Drew standing at the end of the ramp while Roman is still in the ring. They're having a stare down with each other, and you hear music playing, and then you see Drew turn his back to the entrance, and you see a woman standing there who now, she has her back towards the audience, so you don't know who it is, and then you see a guy attack Drew from behind, and it's Karrion Cross, Killer Cross on the Independence, but Karrion Cross, he's now back with the WWE. Uh, he throws 
Drew into the steel steps, and then he hits Drew with a running forearm behind the head and lays Drew out. And the woman on the stage was Scarlett, uh, carrying Cross's real-life wife and his manager that was with him in NXT that was not with him on his first run on the main roster in WWE. So now she's with him on the main roster here. She walks towards the ring with Roman and the bloodliner still in there. She has an hourglass there, and she puts an hourglass in the ring. She turns it upside down, and now the sands are starting to fall down doing the hourglass business. And you see Karrion Cross just tap at his wrist and say, TikTok. So this shows you that Karrion Cross is technically putting his uh, foot and name and body into that main event slot with Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre. So we don't know what's going to happen, more or less. Next week, we're going to hear some type of explanation of Karrion Cross being in WWE again. Uh, I'm glad for Karrion to be back here. A lot of guys like Karrion have gotten a raw deal, and with Triple H now in power, I have a feeling that we're going to see some guys that got released be back into WWE fold under the Triple H umbrella because Triple H actually likes some of these guys, and he actually worked with some of these guys and gals that did get released when they were in NXT. So we're going to have to see under this new regime how everything's going to unfold. But the main thing to take away from SmackDown is two things. One, the women's tag team tournament is going to start on Monday Night Raw. And two, Karrion Cross is back in WWE, and he has his wife, the legit missing piece that actually completes the whole package, Scarlett, with him in the WWE on the main roster. So that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're going off to AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage will start off with John Moxley going against Mance Warner. Uh, Moxley would win the match by referee stoppage when Moxley would get Mance in a bulldog choke, and then Mance would start standing on his feet. But as he's on his feet, he will pass out still in the submission, and then the ref will call for the bell. This was a good match between Moxley and Warner. This was not a wrestling match. It was just two guys just straight up just slugging it out with each other. Uh, throwing chairs at each other, referee lets it go, uh, suplexing each other onto steel chairs. Uh, Mance Warner ends up bleeding. And I mean, this is just a big brawl between both of these guys. Moxley's a brawler, Mance Warner's a brawler. Uh, if you want to know who Mance Warner is, you can go and uh, look up Mance Warner on YouTube. Uh, he's a good promo. Everybody likes him because of talking uh, preferences. And also, if you just want to see somebody just be a straight or just brute, that's what Mans Warner is. After this, we had Kanosuke Takeshita going against Ryan Nemeth, who had Pete Avalon in his corner. Takeshita would beat Ryan Nemeth by pinfall when you hit a V-trigger on Ryan Nemeth for the win. It's kind of poetic that he used the V-trigger because he got brought into AEW by Kenny Omega, and everybody knows that um, Kanosuke is Kenny Omega's boy, so to see him hit Ryan Nemeth with a V-trigger was... Uh, it put a smile on my face. Uh, after the match, Peter Avalon would attack Kanosuke from behind, but Kanosuke would hit Peter with a jumping knee to the face, and then Peter would roll out of the ring. After this, we had Madison Rain going against Lila Gray, who has Stokely Hathaway in her corner. This was Madison Rain's AEW debut. She just left Impact Wrestling, and it was announced this week that she is now the head trainer for the women's division in AEW. So, it's good to see Madison at least get some shine. And I was shocked that she's now with AEW. I mean, she was good in Impact, so I don't have a problem with her being in AEW. 
It's just that her being a head coach, I just never knew that that was like in the cards for her. But congrats. Can't hate on nobody getting uh, their bread and their money and especially helping out the future talent in the wrestling world. Anyway, Madison would win the match by pinfall when Madison would hit Lila Gray with the cross uh, reins, which is basically the crossroads for the win. After the match, Jay Cargo would come out and say that she knew she should have taken care of Madison herself. So Jay decides to throw Madison a challenge on Dynamite for the TBS Championship. Uh, Madison accepts. It does get official. Kiara Hogan would get into the ring and attack Madison from behind. Kiara will try to hit Madison with her spinning neck breaker, but Madison will reverse out of it and hit the cross reins on Kiara Hogan. So this is still setting up the Jade versus Madison matchup at Dynamite for the TBS Championship here. Uh, Jade's going to win this. I don't see Madison taking the TBS title off of her. Do I know who's going to come in to take the belt off of Jade? We still got the Chris Statlander deal happening. We still got the, the Athena deal happening. So I have a feeling it could be one of those two ladies to take the belt off of uh, Jade Cargo. Now it's time for the main event of Rampage. Tag team, street fight. Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland going against Tony Nese and Josh Woods. And in their corner, they have Smart Mark Sterling. Swerve would win the match for his team by pinfall when he would hit a backdrop on Tony Nese into a pile of chairs. Then Swerve would get on the uh, top rope and hit a swerve stomp onto Tony Nese for the win. For me watching this match, I have a feeling that this match was the showcase to everybody who Josh Woods was. Because again, you don't know who watched Ring of Honor, you know, you don't know who did. So for the people that didn't watch Ring of Honor or are rusty on their Ring of uh, Honor watching abilities... Uh, this was a match to highlight who Josh Woods is, especially towards the end of the match. Whenever Josh Woods, with the help of Tony Nese, when Tony Nese would uh kick Keith Lee in the face, when uh Woods and Keith Lee were on the ring apron, and Josh Wood would try to German suplex Keith Lee off the ring apron, and both of them would land through tables outside of the ring. So again, this was to set up and show everybody exactly who Josh Woods is, and also try to get. The team of Tony Nese and Josh was at least off the ground and running to at least let the people get an idea like, okay, I can believe this team going against Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland. But in the end, Keith Lee and Swerve will still win, and we're going to have to see who will be the next tag team going against this uh, team right here. But in the end, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I want to talk about something real quick. I want to talk about uh, Triple H's first week as the head guy for the main roster, basically being the head guy for creative for WWE. Uh, for NXT, I can't really say much because this week was all about continuing storylines and also we're like trying to end some storylines. I have a feeling that Von Wagner and Solo Zuko's deal got ended. Uh, Wesley and Trick's going to be at least ending next week, but is going to parlay into Wes and probably uh, Cameron, not Cameron Grimes, but... Uh, Carmelo Hayes, or if not, we're going to get Solo Sokoa popping in on Carmelo Hayes. That's one of that. And that's what NXT, what NXT is his own, like, own little world. But with the main roster thing, I have a feeling that Triple H's uh, hands were not completely all the way on it. I mean, I think he gave some type of uh, decree to, hey, to say, hey, let these guys wrestle. Let them do what they do. We're going to just give them the time to wrestle the same way that they did last week on Monday Night Raw. But this week, I feel that they were going to continue that exact same momentum. Yes, sure, we're going to have some 
segments here and there, but majority is going to be strictly just wrestling. Guys and gals going out there to wrestle and show everybody that we are the literally the best wrestling company on the planet, but we do do some entertainment stuff on the side. And with Triple H also back at the helm and starting at SummerSlam, he brought back Dakota Kai. And Friday Night SmackDown to end off the week, he brought back Karrion Cross with Scarlett uh, back to WWE. So again, do I think Triple H is going to bring people back, back into the fold? Yes. People that he believes in? Yes. There were reports before SmackDown was even on this show, and as it was going on, that Karrion Cross will be coming back. I read it, and I said, okay, he's a guy that I can see coming back. And then once I saw him back on SmackDown, I was like, oh, snap. That was a quick work. So Triple H is already on the move. He probably already had this stuff laid out, if not a week in advance, probably a good couple of days in advance. So another report was that they say that uh, Dexter Loomis is supposed to be coming back, or at least he's in talks with Triple H to call him up. I'm not sure about that one. It could be because Andy Harwell is technically not doing nothing on NXT. I mean, they're trying to find her way with her doing something, but they haven't really nailed a niche for Indy, and Indy getting back with Dexter on NXT roster would be a nice fit. Uh, people talk about Johnny Gargano. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I could see Johnny being back because, again, Johnny was Triple H's guy for NXT. And, it, and again, last year, it was almost coming up on a year, when Gargano left NXT, he got attacked from behind by Grayson Waller. So he could show back to NXT for a one-off with Grayson Waller and cap that off if he wants to do that. So again, we have some situations where we could bring people back, guys and gals that got ceremoniously fired last year or two years ago that people wanted them to be on the main roster and see what they can do. But with Triple H's like first week, I have a feeling I had no problem with this first week this week at all. It's all about, let's see how we continuously do as the weeks and months and then hopefully years go by and we really can get a good gist on what Triple H wants. Triple H has done NXT, what, in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, 19, 20, 21. That's whenever the whole book started getting changed. So I say from NXT 2014 to 2020, he had the books. That's a good six years that Triple H had to reign over NXT. And in that time span, he gave us some nice, clean matches. And literally, from 2014 to 2020, you could say NXT was literally the top uh, brand on all the WWE programming. It beat Raw and it beat SmackDown. Well, not 2020, because SmackDown, when Roman Reigns came back as the Tribal Chief thing, that's whenever it took it to a different level with SmackDown. But before then... Yeah, SmackDown was not it, Raw was not it, but NXT was the stuff that you wanted to see wrestling happening weekly by weekly basis, and Triple H was uh, running that. It's going to be interesting to see how Triple H runs the main roster with him doing three hours for Monday Night Raw, formatting that, and then two hours for SmackDown, formatting that to get the right people that he wanted to place. But again, I expect a whole lot more wrestling on the Raw and SmackDown products, and that's what I expect for Triple H. But his first week here, it was fine. Nothing for me to like complain about. Now, with that all being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Please don't be a dick. Be courteous. You don't know what people are dealing with. 
And please, if you are dealing with something, as in mental health, please call the suicide hotline if you feel uh, suicidal. I do not want you guys to leave off this planet unceremoniously. Believe me, you have somebody that will love to see you day by day and that actually cares about you. So please call the suicide hotline if you feel that way. The suicide hotline number is in the description of this episode. Now, with that all being said, have a great Saturday. I love you all. I hope you guys listen to my Sunday episode tomorrow that's coming out. It's going to be called Warning. Um, but with that, please have a great Saturday. I love you all. And Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.